morning. Good morning, morning. See you both. How are you both doing? I played one note on my violin. Oh, excellent. <laughs> so that's kind of the start to the start to some form of, of healing and restoration. Absolutely. Good. When did you do that? This morning or yes, during this, this week? Well, I did it this morning, but I did it. Uh, I had a fantastic NHS um, phone call um, uh, of physio, which was amazing. And she, um, she told me to go and get my violin and pick it up and start playing it. And um, so it was actually, I think it was quite important to face that as well. Yeah. And she said, start as if you're starting at the very beginning. And um, so one note. And, I, and it felt great, <laughs> but I can do up to half an hour on the piano. So I've got both. And oh, good, good. Well, that's good. Well done. Thank that's you. Good news, isn't it? Yeah. Hi, yeah. How are you? Morning, Des and Maureen. How are you doing, Mary Ellen? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, good. Hi, Mary Ellen. Hello there, Maureen. Hello. Hi, Des. Hi. <clears throat> How are you both? Yeah, fine. You what? Are you both fine? Yes. Yeah, yeah, good. Fine. Good. Fine is the word you say. Fine is the word. Sun is out. The sky is blue in Bath. It's looking good. The and sun, the sun is coming in. The sun is pouring in on Mary Ellen this morning, so that's kind of good to see. That's lovely. Morning, Paddy. Good morning. Morning. Good to see you. Morning. How are you all? Yeah. Good as well as. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> How about yourself? Yes, doing all right, thank you. Good. <clears throat> yeah. Sun's out here, sky's blue. Um, the mist is clearing gradually in the valley, I think. <laughs> so um, Yeah, we can see right across now. So um But uh, we're lower down, so you're probably not as visible. We've had some beautiful days here, winter sun days. Lovely. The kind of the sun rises and sunsets because we're we're right on the top of the hill of just uh, absolutely stunning in the last. Right. Few and the sunrise this morning was beautiful. Really, yeah, really beautiful. Stunning, yeah. absolutely stunning. Yeah. So. Yeah. All glorious. So. Yeah. And did you manage to get your uh, sermon recorded, Paddy, in the end last week in the church? You managed to find your way in. Uh, I did. It was absolutely freezing cold inside <laughs> the church because they've not been using it for for a month or so. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were back in church uh, for those who were able to. We were back in church this Sunday, and um, um, heating is a great thing. But I think in the guidance they sort of say, you know, aerate everything as much as possible. Have all the door but you sort of sit there think. You know, I paid all that money to warm the building up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. then kind of opening every door and window sort of seems counterintuitive. Yeah, you know, I've, I've got to have some air going through. <laughs> if it's any comfort to you, Tim, I was very, very uh, encouraged to feel the floor. It was quite warm. It was extraordinary. I've never felt the floor warm before. Oh, <laughs> Except in New Zealand. Well, there is under four degrees. <laughs> I know, I know. That's what I'm talking about. It wasn't that there was some kind of, David was experiencing some kind of Holy Spirit, warm souls or something <laughs> like that. It wasn't kind of getting a kind of manifestation of some kind. The two are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> Both and. 
Both hands, is that right? Is that right? Both <laughs> a two-handed lawyer on the one hand. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, David, this morning? Morning, Margaret and Mary as well. I'm better this morning. Morning. Were you, are you, were you not to, sorry, yeah. Were you not too good? Well, I have the occasional grum, grumbling day, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, we've, we've all been there, I think, haven't we? Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, pretty yeah. odd if we hadn't. I've got about six questions for, for Paddy this morning. Excellent. <laughs> Already? <laughs> That's before we've started. So, so, Paddy, you might want to hold your seat firm before you get going. <laughs> Leave me to the end. See who comes up with a better question. <laughs> Morning, Laura. Morning. Morning, Jean. Morning, hello everybody. It's probably not the moment to, to, to mention it, but um, just seeing Mary Ellen has, has arrived. She noticed somebody in on uh, in church on Sunday evening. Yeah. And, um, uh, so we we uh, we prayed for him afterwards, and I, it just occurred to me that we might perhaps mention oh. that to you so that you're aware. I'd about to say that uh, to just a little housekeeping. Sorry to everybody else who may not be in part, but did you happen to know who he was? I didn't have my glasses on. I think this is <laughs> terrible, so I couldn't actually see who he was. Um, Mary Ellen, you're the girl. You'll have to you'll have to send a full ID description by I'm email. I'm asking for a photo fit. It's <laughs> to kind of go chase this person around the city uh, to try and find them, but I I just didn't know who it was. Yeah, I don't, uh, he wasn't familiar to me. Oh, um, no, it's not. He, he was having quite a, an argument. I wasn't sure if it was with his girlfriend or with God. Uh, I think both might have figured during the conversation, which was pretty much a monologue. Yeah. But where I was, I was in reasonable proximity to him. The, the uh, Normans were on the other side of him. I'm sure we were all praying all through your word for, for some kind of healing. But uh, uh, young Les said afterward that he thought he recognized him, but he might not have a name for him. I don't, okay. but he wasn't anyone that I knew from fellowship pre-March. Yep. Whether he, he's new or not, I don't know. No, I, I, I hadn't seen him either. It's also one of those things when, um, you know someone is talk, talking while you're speaking, you sit and think, that's fine. And normally it's David sort of disagreeing with me, you know, when I'm preaching. <laughs> I've been cheeky, I've been rude to Because I can this morning. It's the last time for a while, David, I'll be able to move. <laughs> I've moved to you. Um, but I, after, <laughs> after a while, so, so I... Stop now. <laughs> I'm giving Paddy some time to prepare himself for your questions later on. <laughs> Go on to clue, Paddy. Anyway, I'm, sure, we'll, we'll, I'm sure you'll have answered them before you finish your talk. That's it. will all be sorted. Well, anyway, let's kick off. Uh, can, uh, I, can I encourage you to mute yourselves just so there isn't kind of background noise um, from Paddy when, when he's speaking? It so it helps with the recording um, to, to make it a cleaner recording when other people go onto the website and look for it too. Um, but Paddy, just want to thank you again. I was out last time, but thank you so much for all that you've given us. Um, we're finishing bringing to conclusion uh, this morning, Exodus, really looking forward to what you've got to share with us as I think we're in Exodus 29, I think. Um, 
No, I'm, I'm actually shifting again to 34. Okay, that's good. I like to keep keep David on his toes. I like that. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> we, we're going to look at Exodus 34. So thank you so much. Let me just pray as we gather again this morning. Heavenly Father, we're conscious again of your extraordinary faithfulness to us, your goodness to us your provision in our lives, the gift of Jesus, the fact that you came to us and that you've made a way for us this morning. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you for Paddy and the gift he is to us. Thank you for your word. And continue to pray. Would you speak to us? Would you minister to us? as we spend time with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Tim. Well, yes, I have been um, oscillating uh, since last week between chapter 29 and 34. Um, uh, there's so much in this great book of Exodus um, to look at, but I thought... Uh, I've returned to Exodus 34 under the title, A Merciful and Gracious God. Um, I think that's just a, a better way to end our sessions together. So I'm going to read uh, a portion of chapter 34. Um, I jump around a bit, um, but anyway, you might, you might be able to follow me. The Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the former ones and i will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you broke be ready in the morning and come up to mount sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain no one shall come up with you so moses rose early in the morning and went up on mount sinai as the lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name, the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So this is the second time God has met Moses on the mountain to make a covenant with the people of Israel. When Moses came down from the mountain the first time, you remember, the people had been worshipping the works of their own hands. They'd built a golden calf out of everybody's nose rings and earrings and finger rings. And uh, the covenant that God made at that time was this. Uh, this is Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, 
but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. Now, we all know that the upshot of that was that they ignored God. They exchanged the glory of the invisible God for the image of a cow. They had been unbelieving at the Red Sea. They grumbled against God in the wilderness. And we might think that God's patience had run out. But here at the mountain again, the people have not been destroyed. And the very fact that this meeting is taking place is proof that God is gracious and that he is merciful. When he speaks, he reminds Moses very clearly that he is a covenant God, signified by his name. Remember, we looked at that in the first session, those four Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H, known theologically as the Tetragrammaton or the Tetragram. And here it is again in Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of Lord. And what follows is a description of what that name means. He repeats it twice, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's a slightly different translation. Now, there are two problems to deal with in this text. Firstly, after declaring the fact that God forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, in verse 7, the text goes on to say, but who will by no means clear the guilty? So the problem is, how can God forgive the guilty and yet not clear the guilty? Or to put it another way, who are the guilty that God forgives? And who are the guilty that he refuses to forgive. Other Old Testament writers quote this passage and it's helpful to see their take on it. In fact, uh, it's a good policy always to understand that scripture is its own interpretation of scripture. In Joel chapter two, verse 12 and 13, God says to these rebellious people, Yet even now return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and so on. So the assumption is that the people whom the Lord will not forgive are the unrepentant people who will not return to God with all their heart. And Jonah sees the same thing after he preaches to the Ninevites. They repent and God spares them. Jonah is angry with God for being so merciful. I hope we never get to a stage where we get angry with God because he's so merciful. But Jonah did. And he explains to God, look, this is why I ran away to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. 
That's Jonah 4 verse 2. Jonah agrees with Joel that whether God forgives the Ninevites or not depends on whether or not the Ninevites repent, whether they turn from their evil ways. And the guilty who spurn God's offer of mercy will not be cleared of their guilt. And the second problem in this text comes from verse 7. God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 says this, the soul that sins will die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. So the question is, how can these two texts not contradict each other. The most crucial thing to see is that Ezekiel wants to envisage children who do not follow in the sinful footsteps of their fathers. Exodus is describing children who are already continuing in their father's sinful footsteps. So Ezekiel in chapter 18 verse 19 says, when the son has done what is lawful and right, and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. In other words, he won't die for his father's sins because he's not following in his father's footsteps. Ezekiel 34, 7 has a parallel in Exodus 20 and verse 5. Sorry, Exodus 34, verse 7 has a parallel in Exodus 20, verse 5, which explains that God will respond to the iniquity of the fathers upon their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. The word hate there uh, in Hebrew, I can't remember if we looked at that before, but the word hate is not the, the same word hatred that we use today, which um, I hope unpacks a lot of New Testament um, scriptures as well but the word hate literally means in Hebrew to turn your face away and um, so he's saying the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who turn their face away from me and of course um, when God says he hates he hates um, uh, uh, Jacob um, he means he turns his face from it. Just as he says in the Psalms, if we are sinful, then he'll turn his face from us and he will not hear us. Now, with those two problems behind us, uh, I hope they're behind us, but you can raise a question uh, later if you want to. Uh, we can hear this message of God's mercy with fresh application. In other words, it's always good to understand the bad news before we can fully understand the good news. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and so on. These are, there are two kinds of people who are the most hard to help in pastoral counseling. The one who thinks they're too far gone to be forgiven, and the one who thinks forgiveness is a given. One who thinks they're utterly disqualified from God's kingdom, and the other thinks that God is a pushover. 
the challenge for any preacher, for anybody who shares God's word, is how to speak with hope to the first person without encouraging the attitude of the second. We have to speak of both God's anger and mercy, both his warning and comfort, and then we pray for the Holy Spirit to cause that word to be heard in its proper application and context for each person's need. In this passage, God piles phrase upon phrase, articulating his heart of love in five expressions. Number one, mercy and grace. Number two, he's slow to anger. Number three, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Number four, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And number five, forgiving iniquity and sin. If God is slow to anger, even though we give him ample reason to be angry with us because of our sin, then he must be very merciful and forgiving. And the reason God is slow to anger is not that he doesn't notice our sin, but that he forgives it and he forgives all sin. So for those who feel that there is a category of sin that is beyond God's forgiveness, please take on board the word of God here. In fact, all three Hebrew words for sin are written here to show that all sorts and all degrees of sin are forgivable. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, there is only one unforgivable sin, and I'm sure you know that that is the sin against the Holy Spirit. And if you're worried that you've committed it, that's evidence that you haven't. The second and fourth statements go together. He is slow to anger and he keeps steadfast love for thousands. When God says that he keeps steadfast love, the focus is on the permanency of his love. It lasts, it perseveres, it keeps on and on and on. So I therefore see a connection between that perseverance of God's love and the statement that God is slow to anger. Love cannot last where anger has a short fuse. If God's anger had a short fuse, his love would not last one day in my life, that's for sure. But he proclaims clearly on Mount Sinai, I am slow to anger. He is long-suffering. The Hebrew word for anger is up and literally means nose. And the Hebrew word for long-suffering or long-tempered means to have self-restraint when one is stirred to anger is ap-ayim, which is long-nosed. And it signifies the Hebrew understanding that it takes a long time for the nose to grow red with anger if you're long-suffering. So God is extraordinarily patient. He keeps steadfast love. Moreover, he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. And when God uses the word abounding here, he wants us to understand the resources of his love 
just are not limited. So um, I hope that helps. Uh, I think I've covered everything there. Um, I'm hoping that there will be some feedback and some questions. Well, I know there are at least four. <laughs> right, thank you, Paddy. <clears throat> Let me come back to, um, okay, people just want to have questions or comments and let's go from there. Thank you for opening up. Just, Uh, this, yeah. Can you explain the, the Hebrew background to the word repentance for us, buddy? Um, yes. Um, let me just, um, sorry, get the, the pictures all right. Um, yes, re repentance um, literally means to, to turn around, to rethink. Uh, it has to do with your mind. It has to do with taking a different view about it. In other words, um, you don't take your view, your justification for sin. You take God's view. And God's view is that you need to turn from it. And the turning um, is always 180 degrees, not 40 degrees. It's not, it's not going at a tangent from the way that you used to think. It's going in the opposite direction, which I think is really helpful because if you are just making some adjustments, you know, your Christian life is the way that you always used to live, but the gaps are just stuffed with Jesus, if I may say it like that, um, then it's so easy to jump back onto that old way of life. But if you're going in the opposite direction, it's actually quite a lot of effort to turn back and go the old way. And that's the theory. So um, that's how they, um, that's what the word really means. That would, that would make it okay for the New Testament to use the Greek word metanoia then, would it? That's exactly what metanoia means, yes, to rethink. Yeah, change, a change of mind. Change of mindset, even. Change of mindset is better, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, when um, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, what he's saying is we need to apply that, that different mindset now. 